Discover BetMGM, the betting app sports fans in the Capital Region turn to for nonstop action all winter long. Take the excitement of football, basketball, and hockey to the next level with same-game parlays, exclusive signature bets, odds boost promos, and much more. Plus, now you can sign in, place bets, and manage your cash balance under the same BetMGM account in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. With the same username and password throughout the DMV, it's never been easier to play with the king of sportsbooks. Download the BetMGM app today. BetMGM is an authorized gaming partner of the NBA and an official sports betting partner of the NHL. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly and offer resources to help you make appropriate choices. Please gamble responsibly. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Traveling for one of the big conference tourneys in Nashville or Minneapolis this March? Do yourself a favor. Stay at Graduate Hotels, Bridgestone Arena, Target Center. Their hotels are close to both tournament venues. So why would you stay anywhere else? I love staying at the Nashville location, and I'll be at the Minneapolis location for the Big Ten Championship. And if you're one of my listeners, you can save 30% off with the promo code DUG. That's DUG, D-O-U-G. Good at any Graduate Hotels location, up to 30% off. How do you do it? Really simple. Book today at graduatehotels.com. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Martha Stewart, the original influencer. When I think about anything, I think about the way that she did it first. The media mogul. The six years ahead, she saw what was coming. The prisoner, the rise, the fall and the reinvention of an American icon. Once Martha paved the road, everybody else pretty much copied her. A CNN original series, The Many Lives of Martha Stewart, now streaming on Max. Billie Eilish and Phineas O'Connell, they're with us today on Crew Call. I'm your host, Anthony D'Alessandro. Billie's vocals, it was automatic art. You know, I had to like, choose a more challenging route than just like da 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 you know what i'm saying like it could have been like easier and a lot of people have asked me like how did you choose to have it be so soft and like so simple and what else was it gonna like that's what the song wanted thanks for listening to this episode of the crew call podcast on deadline hey welcome in this is doug gottlieb and welcome to all ball baby a great part of the Herd Podcast Network. Uh, as we did last week in our first installation of All Ball, we started by talking about the NBA and then um, found our way into College Hoop, which is what we're going to do today. Um, obviously, LeBron James's coach, Tyron Lue, has taken a leave of absence. Having been a contemporary of Tyron Lue, about the same age, he did cross me up in college one time when Nebraska came in our place and beat us. Just a devastating loss because Nebraska sucked on the road. Anyway, uh, first a, a quick get well to Ty Lue. And look, this is what I said in my radio show, and I kind of mean it. I don't blame LeBron James for Tyron Lue getting sick, but what whatever has happened to his health has been mm, exacerbated. What a great word exacerbated is has been exacerbated by the stress that he has been under, not just coaching the NBA, but coaching LeBron James in what could very well be his last season in Cleveland. 
So doesn't it stand to reason that had LeBron, you know, not allowed Kyrie Irving to voice his desire to trade publicly, to be traded publicly, had he... Like, look, we could say, well, that was done. Once it came out that he wanted to be traded, like, no, that's not necessarily. There there are women that want a divorce and the dude comes back, flowers in hands, on bended knee. I'll go to therapy, whatever you need, babe. And you find a way to work it out. And maybe you don't stay together for life, but you stay together and try and work it out for a year or two, which is all really you needed in Cleveland. Hey, let's just try and figure this out for a year, and then you can go your way and I can go my way, and the Cavs can be the better off because of a trade where they get rid of both of us, right? Um, this, this also could have, the health problems could have not been exacerbated had LeBron James at the start of the year said, hey, I'm staying in Cleveland, don't worry about it. And nothing else you hear matters. This is my home. This will always be my home. He didn't. He didn't stop David Griffin from being fired. And you can say to yourself, well, what could LeBron really do? You mean to tell me that if LeBron James goes into Dan Gilbert and says, whatever you do, don't fire David Griffin, don't fire Griff, or else I won't play for you ever again? That might be a bluff, but it's a strong bluff. So the point is that you can't help when Tyron Lue gets sick or Tyron Lue's not sleeping and Tyron Lue's having health issues. But you could help those stress uh, kind of buttons from not being pressed had he, had he not been so passive or even passive-aggressive, instead been the leader that he purports himself to be. All that said, it's going to be absolutely fascinating this year to see what happens with the Cavs in the NBA playoffs. Now we have Trey Young, who's declared for the NBA draft. DeAndre Ayton's going to the NBA draft. Michael Porter Jr. only played essentially two games. He's going to the NBA draft. And uh, Marvin Bagley is kind of the only big-time, one-and-done, non-Kentucky player. Mo Bamba likely going to the draft. Colin Sexton, of course, he said he wants to get a 4.0, but expectations are he'd go to the draft. The most interesting one, I I think, without any question, is Trey Young. And... Normally, the, normally the case is with freshmen, they don't shoot well, but you look at their stats and they get progressively better. That's, I mean, we've seen the Kentucky guys, not, not that the Kentucky guys shot well in the first game of the NCAA tournament, but generally freshmen don't shoot well. They have to learn the speed of the game. Everybody says speed of the game. It's more the percentage of percentage of possessions in which they play at their peak level in terms of intensity. The thing about Trey Young is his his shooting performances obviously got worse. I mean, the numbers since, let's just take since February 10th, are atrocious. And so he's getting ready for the NBA draft. And, of course, a lot of you uh, like to troll me the way that SportsCenter once trolled me. That was fun. That I was not an employee for, of, of ESPN for like two years and somebody, somebody in SportsCenter is working their Twitter handle uh, put out kind of a hybridized version of what I said on uh, when the day he declared. Here's the tweet that SportsCenter sent out. This was awesome, right? This is um, April 2009. Steph Curry declared for the NBA draft. Doug Gottlieb says he doesn't have the upside of Rubio. Jennings, Flynn, Patty Mills, Jeff Teague, all more athletic. And in all honesty, I, it was that was accurate. I, I, I thought Ricky Rubio could develop more as a shooter. Now, has he been hurt by the knee injury? Yeah, but the big thing was Ricky Rubio, for the life, couldn't shoot the basketball. 
and Steph Curry could. That'll open up the court for Steph Curry's game. Brandon Jennings, I thought he was more athletic than Steph. I don't think that's, an ar- that's arguable. Johnny Flynn, the Johnny Flynn thing is interesting because obviously he went before Steph Curry. The flaw in the Johnny Flynn thing is one we look back and say, well, Johnny Flynn sucked. I actually think, I thought Johnny Flynn could have been the next Kevin Johnson, but he was drafted by the Timberwolves and put it in the triangle. And if you're a ball screen point guard, the triangle is not for you. Additionally, he had a devastating, I think, hip injury to which his career was shortened. Uh, Patty Mills would be the one guy that I probably overrated coming out. And he's been a really good pro, but I I thought he would be a little bit better initially. Took him a while and he figured it out and he'd become kind of a lifer as a spur. But I, I would have thought, I thought Patty Mills was going to be a Jamal Crawford type. You know, I thought he would be a high double digit scorer off the bench. Um, and Jeff Teague, I think, has had a really good career. He just hasn't been Steph Curry. So, look, I'll ad- knowingly, admittedly, uh, a guy who I likened, I thought Steph Curry would have a Jeff Hornacek-like career. That's what I thought. Could play some point. Was a very good two, very good shooter. I didn't think he was athletic enough to get into a defense. And I thought they'd struggle to hide him defensively. And Hornacek was actually a pretty good defender back in the day. But it was, it was different because you could grab guys, you could hand check them, you could hide things a little bit more. Whereas nowadays you get so spread out and you can't hand check and everybody switches every screen. It's really hard to hide a guy. Um, Point being that when I talk about Trey Young and I liken him to Steph Curry coming out or how everybody wants to liken him to Steph Curry, there are some that'll be like, yo, you don't know what you talk about. You missed on Steph Curry. And that's fair. It's fair. I didn't think he would be a two-time MVP. I'm not sure anybody actually thought he would be a two-time MVP, let alone a perennial all-star. But that's okay. I'll own that one. As long as I'm allowed to own the fact that I didn't think Derek Williams was a top 10, top 15 pick when he came out of Arizona. You know, you go back and the hits are greater than the misses. So, look, I've said I think Bagley should go one over Aiton. And I understand that you need big guys now especially ones that can stay out in the floor in versatile lineups, one, because he can shoot, and two, because he can move his feet and defend. But I think Bagley is just a more versatile player offensively, and uh, he's a little bit younger. And no, he doesn't have the body right now of Aiton, may never have the body of Aiton, but there's still a little bit more physical development to take place. I'll put out a, a draft board as soon as the season is done, and I think it's interesting. But the thing about Trey is, because his game is styled after Steph, that when I tell you somebody's going to get fired drafting Trey Young, there will be a percentage of people who read the headline from this podcast and think, well, what does Gottlieb know? He missed on Trey Young. Like, all right. You go back to the draft, which had Chris Paul and Darren Williams. And I thought at the time the league was changing, evolving. And I thought, that the the draft should have the the Atlanta Hawks or the Milwaukee Bucks should have taken Chris Paul, Darren Williams, one and two. So, um, look again. I've I've missed on picks, missed on guys. But the weird part about the Steph Curry one is, everybody's like, "Well, you had him rated below Johnny Flynn and Ricky Rubio." Yes, so did the Timberwolves. Obviously, they missed. Um, 
but I didn't have Hashim Thabit going number two overall, and he becomes the biggest bust of that draft. Brandon Jennings went a couple picks behind him, and Jennings, I don't think, ever developed into that player. I had Drew Holiday higher than others. And what's become a guard-dominant league, you sit there and you want to, you watch Trey Young, and you, you want Trey Young to be Steph Curry. But he's not. He, he's not. Now, uh, this is really hard because Trey is only a freshman. Steph played three years before coming out and obviously had more refinement in his game. Remember, Steph played the first two years off the basketball for the most part with Davidson and played the point guard his junior year, and that's when he blew up and had, had the type of season we saw Trey have. Right? He, had, he averaged 25 and 4.7 rebounds and 2.8 assists during his sophomore year. During his junior year, that's when he exploded. That's when he had, you know, 44 in a loss to Oklahoma. That's when he uh, had uh, scored at least 25 points in seven straight games. You know, he averaged 28, shot 45%, 38% from three. His percentages actually went down his junior year. So there's a, a couple different layers to the Trey Young conversation. I think it's a mistake for him to come out. I think that he could develop, he could average as many or more points or fewer points, shoot a lower percentage overall, and still be as well or or better regarded. The first thing is defensively, remember Trey Young is smaller than Steph Curry. He's smaller than Steph Curry. Steph is a legit 6'3-ish, and he obviously had to add a ton of strength. And Steph is still a guy that they hide defensively. Now, they hide him defensively because he's a better athlete than Trey. Now, Trey could improve his athleticism. He's a little bit bigger than Trey. I, I don't think Trey's going to grow anymore, but I wouldn't put it past anybody to squeeze out another half inch or an inch at this stage in his development. And he's a better finisher, although not the greatest finisher, but he's an incredible finisher at the rim for a guy his size, considering he's not a go-in-and-dunk-on-you-with-two-hands sort of guy. So there's a, a bunch of different layers to it. Uh, but Trey doesn't play any defense on the basketball. He's not really an active defender off the basketball. And the numbers in the second half of the season are really, really bad when teams locked in on him and he is he's not a product necessarily as much of the system as much as he's a product of just dominating the basketball. Trey Young for the year shot 42%, 36% from 3. That's not great. That's not great. But when you go and look at the player splits and you say, all right, in February he shot 36%, 24% from 3. Yikes. In March, 36%, 29% from 3. Yikes. Like, look, once you get to February on and you're shooting mid-20s from three when defenders are locking in on you and your averages plummet from 30 a game to 21 a game in the last two months of the season, that's not the kind of progression. And so I understand why Ray Young, his dad, is having him go from being a collegiate player uh, just one season, go pro. You know, your name is hot now. But I don't think his name would cool off. I really don't, especially if he refines his all-around game. In order for Trey to be Trey, he's not a blend guy. He's not a guy you can just say, hey, you know, I want you to blend in. I want you to play against better competition for a shorter period of time and be more efficient, come off the bench. You, you, if you're going to draft him in the lottery, you're going to want to start him at some point. 
And I just think this is going to be bad. I, I think there's a lot more Jimmer to him than there is Steph to him. He's not the athlete Steph is. He's not, at least to this point, the shooter that Steph is. He's a he's a good passer. Uh, he might be as natural a passer as Steph is. He's a lot more. He's he's very right hand dominant. Of course, a lot of that can be worked out, and he can be made to be a better athlete. Although I'm not sure he'll ever be a great athlete. So. I think because of expectations, the attention that will be paid to him, the amount of time he has to have the basketball in his hands in order to be effective, I think it's more probable than not that there's some early struggles in his career. And that will cause whoever drafts him, uh, they'll draft him higher than he should be drafted because of his name. Now, maybe he goes to a place like Orlando and we don't pay attention to him for his first couple years and he develops into a good pro. But I can think of... uh, 10 to 12 guys to which I'm absolutely positively sure will be pros and be six men to starters in this league that I would take ahead of them. And then I have a group of 10 or 12 others that I think fit in better as role players. So, uh, look, I've never been a huge Michael Porter guy, but I think he'll go somewhere six through 10. Mo Bamba, I don't think there's any way in which you pass on Mobamba because of the upside with the length and the way basketball is being played. It, it's a little surprising to me that he didn't have a better year, that Texas hasn't been a little bit better since, since Shaka took over. Although one of the big issues with Shaka is, you know, he's always played with undersized guys, with guys that were lightly recruited, guys that were tougher than a $2 stake. You get to Texas and they get these regal big guys. Well, it's you can't play... Havoc when you have, you know, a six foot nine Dylan Osikowski and a seven foot Mo Bamba. Like, that's really hard to pick up and play. And he hasn't had depth of guards, but he just doesn't have the junkyard dogs he had previously. And it's going to be fascinating to see at Texas does he kind of refocus his recruiting instead of going after top 50, top 25 guys? Does he just go and get the best athletes in the state of Texas and gets after it and, and plays Havoc? Or does he try and refine his style, which is what he's He's seemingly done and coaching a way in which he hasn't coached since becoming a head coach. But I think obviously Bamba, Aiton, Luka Doncic, and then my personal favorite, Marvin Bagley. Those are the guys that are going to fill out the top five, along with Colin Sexton, who um, undoubtedly to me is the first point guard off the board. He's He can play both ends, defensively, offensively. He's not the passer of Steph Curry. Uh, he's not the passer of Trey Young. You're not the shooter shot maker of Trey. But even though so the shooting is held in incredibly high regard at the NBA level, you also have to be able to get off your shot. You have to be able to guard your position. You have to be able to switch on to bigger players. Uh, with that in mind, let's get to some of our special guests who join us now on All Ball. Let's welcome in CBS Sports College Basketball Analyst and former head coach of Villanova, Manhattan, UMass. Uh, Steve Lapis joins us here on All Ball, the Doug Gottlieb podcast, just talking basketball. Lap, you were in Nashville, incredible sight, unbelievable games. And on Sunday, you had two, I, I don't know if you call them comebacks or choke jobs. I guess it depends on what side. <laughs> uh, uh, let, let's start with Cincinnati. Um, Cincinnati, a 22-point lead, that's a choke job more than a comeback, I guess. You were there. It's so much different when you're there. What happened? 
You know what, Doug? It's one of those games. I'm telling you, I, with 11 minutes to go, we were on a TV break, and I told the channel, I said, this thing is so over, I can't tell you. The body language of Nevada was bad. They had just picked up technical fouls. They were a complete mess. They only had five guys. Uh, uh, Caleb Martin's ankle was sore. He had his sneak. I'm like, this thing is over. And I got to tell you, I have no idea. You know, a lot of times you can point to one thing in a game. I couldn't point to one thing to say how this thing started. But I will say this. With five minutes to go in the game, when Jaron Cumberland picked up his fourth and Mick Cronin kept him in the game, and they fouled out like 30 seconds later, that's when they were up eight at that point. So it, it had started to turn on them, no question, but that's when it really turned. And you know this, Doug, you've seen it many times. When a team is, especially a, 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 a higher-seeded team, starts to go south in an NCAA tournament game, it's hard to stop, and they definitely panicked at the end, no doubt. No, the Cumberland fouling out, and, and here's what I pointed out watching the AAC championship game in person. I was calling the radio, and I said, like, they really only have four guys. You know, they, they try and hide the fact that they don't really have a point guard. They, Justin Jennifer can't score, and Kane Broom's really kind of a more of a mid-major, low-major kid, and he... You know, and and so their their top four guys are really good, and then they hide the fact they don't have point guard. They have no backup bigs. You had an experience like this one, didn't you, in the NCAA tournament? Yeah, but not not we never had a lead like this. In other words, we were you know we we had a couple of games in the NCAA tournament, like with, with Old Dominion in particular. We were up five six the whole game, and, and at the end, fouled the three point shot and ended up losing the game. So we, but we, I felt the pressure. There's no question. You feel the pressure. If you're if you're a two seed and you're playing a team that's an eight, nine, ten, eleven seed, and you're up five or four minutes to go, you feel the pressure. And uh, so we never had a big lead like that, but uh, you definitely know that there's heat, no question. All right, let's go to Xavier. Uh, Xavier wasn't up twenty-two; they were up twelve um, in the second part of the second half. What went so wrong for X? You know, them I felt different about. I, I felt like they were in control, but I didn't think like that it was over. And I think what, we're, what, what went wrong for them is they and I don't know if you've had a chance to see Florida State live. You see them live, but you say, hmm, look at these guys. I mean, athletic, big, strong, guys that can make plays, guys that can get, get into you defensively. For, but the problem for them is they didn't do it for long periods of time, but they certainly can do it for five minutes, and that's what they did in that game. They got into Xavier for five minutes, but it happened to be the last five minutes of the game, and they were with an earshot, and that was the thing about them. You know, they were close enough where if they could put on one of their great spurts that they're capable of, that they could win the game. And that's what they did. The last five minutes of the game, six minutes, Xavier, who was one of the best offensive teams all year, was awful. And I think Trayvon Blewett is a good player. I think he got exposed a little bit. And I know that everybody talks about him Guaranteed NBA guy, whatever. Uh, he couldn't. He can't create his own shot. He's not a great athlete, and I think that Florida State really exposed that a little bit. And then you know, Mature fouled out, and Mature really he's their best player in terms of being able to do something on his own, uh, especially in transition. So I think that you know, again, the floodgates open. But that Florida State team, they can play defense when they want to. No, no question. They're they're one of the great airport teams. You see them in the airport, you're oh. like, man. Who are those guys? Who, who are those guys? Uh, a couple, a couple quick ones. Um, as I know, you're going getting ready to call the Division Two National Championship. You saw Texas in person. What's your impression of Mo Bamba? Uh, he's very raw uh, offensively. He's very weak. Uh, so he's got a lot of work to do on his body. He's got a, work, a lot of work to do on his offensive game. And you know, like I used to tell my big guys. 
you got if you want to if you want to get eight ten shots in a game, you got to post up forty times, which means you almost have to try to get the ball in every possession in a game if you want to get yourself sixteen points. So if there's a play where the ball's on this side of the floor and you decide to stand on the other side of the floor and not work hard and duck in and post up, guess what? You're not going to get what you want. And that's what I saw Bamba. I, I called it out a few times in the game that there were many, many times in the game where he didn't even try to post up. So he's got a lot of work to do in terms of playing harder, in my opinion, and he's got a lot of work to do on his body physically because he's weak right now. He, he's got, is he talented? Yes. Is this guy potentially, can he be a really good player on the next level? Yes, but he's not there right now. He will get manhandled next year, in my opinion. Why hasn't it hit yet for, uh, for that coaching staff? Well, I think they had a little hard luck this year. When you think about, well, the hard luck was more what happened to poor Andrew Jones before the kid got leukemia. So you hate to say, I mean, because you're more concerned about him and his sickness than you are about the team. But if you're going to look at that part, not having Andrew Jones really hurt. He was their second leading scorer all year. Uh, and then the, what happened at the end of the year with the kid Eric Davis not being eligible because of all the stuff that came out about potential agents and stuff. So. And, and, I, and I also think Shaka made his bones playing that style. Yep. And I guess he has found that he can't play that style at this level. So uh, uh, I think there's an adjustment there style-wise, but I also think he had some tough luck this year. But more con- I'm more concerned about Andrew Jones' health than about what it did to Shaka's team. But if we're going to talk about it, it definitely hurt the team, too. No, no question. You have a suspension of one of your, one of your uh, wing players, and then you lose another one to, to leukemia. That, that's, that's totally fair. Um, you and I have both said, man, Villanova shoots too many threes, and yet, gosh, they made a bunch of threes in their <laughs> second in their second round win. We look at how the tournament is kind of sh- uh, changing and evolving, and the brackets are opening up. Has this become their tournament to win? I don't think there's any question. I'm telling you, they're going to have a tough time this week. But, but you know, Bob Huggins, I think he's going to have to make an adjustment. If he's going to come out and press these guys, it's going to be a big problem. And, uh, and and not because of Jalen Brunson. Yeah, the thing that beats pressure, as you know, is having guys to throw the ball up the court to when you get doubled in the backcourt. That's the thing that hurts pressure. And Villanova has too many playmakers up there. But getting back to what you said, absolutely, the way they're playing right now. And you know what? Let's say this. Yes, they made a, they made a ton of threes against Alabama. But you know what I was most impressed with? I thought their half-court defense was tremendous in that game. I think they're getting better defensively. Lap, great stuff as always. Get on your plane, and thanks so much for joining us on All Ball. Chris Beard joins us on the Doug Gottlieb Show. Chris, how are you? Doing good, Doug. Good to hear your voice, man. Likewise. um, What's this been like this year as opposed to the Arkansas Little Rock run? Oh, good question. Um, You know, every journey's different. Every team's different. Uh, The common thing is just, so like happy just to be still hooping you know like 16 teams left and we get to practice today we get to be around our guys like at the core of it you know like that that's what it's all about i mean i know like it's such a big deal but the bottom line is you get to play again you get to practice again you get to you know get on your guys one more time uh it's fun to play in dallas in front of so many alums but to play such a hard-fought game in round one what what was it like to come out and play Florida in the second round? You know, it's a lot, a lot, a lot like back to backs in the Big Twelve. Um, we thought Stephen F. Austin was a light, like a Big Twelve team. I would agree with you. 
Uh, they're really good. And it's not just about this team. It's about the tradition. And, you know, there was guys on the court there that had won NCAA tournament games. We don't have anybody on our team that had won an NCAA tournament game. So um, I thought that game actually helped us beat Florida. You know, I don't know if we win the second game if we don't have a really tough game in the first one. And basically the Stephen Foster game, I would agree, though. It was like a one-possession game is what it was. Purdue's waiting, and I'm sure the last team Purdue ever wants to see is when you coached because that was when you were at Arkansas Little Rock. That was the team that you took down. I know there, you know, there's a lot of similar pieces, right? That the seniors were all on that team. How much of what you want to do is in any way similar to what you want to do last time you took on Purdue? Uh, yeah, definitely similarities. I mean, because Purdue is going to be, you know, a team that has great size and great bigs and. Uh, whether Haas plays or not, which I think he will, you know, uh, we're going to have to figure out a way to contend with that, both on offense and defense. I think two two different games, though. I don't think anybody in Indiana is scared of me, but I, you know, I'm gl- I think they're glad that Josh Hagens and Roger Woods aren't going to be playing for us. No, um, no doubt. But you know, I won't score a basket Friday night, but um, you know, our players have to do that. But I think you know, all these games in the tournament are all have little subplots and cool things and stuff, and I think uh, it's just another example. But we have so much respect for Matt Painter. I mean, I, I tell people this all the time. It's very easy for me to describe Matt. Like, he's the exact same guy today to me that he was when he was an assistant at Southern Illinois. You know, like, we were drinking draft beer in the back of some bar. Now, you know, I mean, he, I guess it's Heineken now in the, in the front bar, but he's still the same guy, and um, he's been unbelievable to me. And then I tell the guys, too, like, you know, your true character comes out in adversity and all that. That's true. I mean, that's such an accurate statement. And when we were fortunate enough at Little Rock to win that game, I mean, let's be honest, we got lucky down the stretch. We were really fortunate. That thing had to go exactly the way it did for us to win. You talk about a gracious guy. I mean, like, I'll never forget it. Like, when, when you go to the press conference after the game, the tournament, there's a little holding area. And so we got, we literally crossed again, and Matt's like, same, I mean, he's just like the same guy. He like, congratulated me, took time out to talk to our guys, Hagens and Roger. So I just have so much respect for him on the basketball side, but also as a person. You know, there's, I think there's conflicting narratives, Chris. I think there's a narrative from people in my business that cover the sport and fans, and there's a narrative kind of inside the sport. There's all this talk about, about guys that do it the wrong way, and for whatever reason, there's not enough... I don't know, affirmation of the success for guys that do it the right way. You know, like, look, when you, it, it's almost like the, uh, uh, it's like profession of lawyer. Like, there's there's millions of really good lawyers out there. But when you say, like, you're a lawyer, like, uh, when you say you're a basketball coach, all right, like, uh, because, of all, because of the scandal that has kind of put a cloud over the sport, it feels like suddenly that becomes a bad word. But I, I, I look at your growth as a professional from, Incarnate Word to Abilene Christian to North Texas to Fort Scott to Seminole State to to McMurray to Angelo State to Little Rock uh, to Tech and I'm like this is what the sport is about do it the right way coach ball get guys to play hard win games and have a cold beer afterwards and tell stories about it right like what what's your sense of the conflicting narratives in how the sport is viewed and how the sport is actually practiced yeah well stated I mean. I- verbalize that perfect i think uh you know what thing that comes to mind is i think like you know like the controversy and like spicy stuff is what sells and that's the good articles but there's also just like a pureness to like you know 
a lot of the good parts of our game. And like uh, my girlfriend, uh, Randy, she watches a lot of these like uh, reality shows. And like, I'd be lying to you if I didn't tell you that sometimes I'll sit down and kind of get engaged with them, like yeah. the housewives and stuff. And if you look on there, I mean, every one of those uh, uh, women have something going on. I mean, none of them are just like happily married. Everything's rocking around. I mean, it's like, you know, it's like just like the spicy stuff sells. You know, the stuff's kind of on the dark side. That's what people kind of, it's what entertains people. But I would agree with you. To me, like, I'd like to watch a reality show of like a couple people that are married and doing it the right way. And, you know, because I, mean, I think there's beauty in that too. I mean, like, for me, that's where real happiness comes from. And I would tell you that in basketball too. I mean, to, to me, I've been on all sides of it, as you know, Doug. I've been like a junior college coach. I saw everybody come in and recruit our players. And now I've competed at all these different levels. And I'm telling you that most guys are doing it right. I mean, most of us are out there trying to, you know, get it done. And I mean, um, and, I, and I'd put Purdue's program right there. Like, Matt Painter recruited our players, and we've recruited against him. Um, and so I would tell you that he's one of the best coaches in our game that, that just does everything everything right. Keenan Evans is an absolute star. He's had an incredible season. Obviously, you inherited him from, from Tubby's staff. Uh, what about him, from a guy who watches him every day, watches every tape, coaches every game, what about Keenan Evans impresses even you? Probably the consistency. Um, you know, he's always been a talented guy. Um, but certainly last year to get himself in a category as a junior where he's an all-Big 12 player, to me that equals consistency. Like just the other day when I had the ballots in front of me and you're trying to pick the players, every one of them is a all-conference talent. So what I do is I pull out the stat sheets and I start really thinking about it, and I, I just look at consistency. Um, you know, like to me, Wade at Kansas State was an all-conference player in our league because of how consistent he is. There's other guys as talented as Wade, but Wade, to me, is a first-team all-conference guy because of his consistency. Um, and I would say the same thing with Keenan. Like, what he's been able to do now this year, he, he's getting the best team's defender. He's getting game plans, but he still, you know, is able to make plays on both ends of the floor. And, and to me, ultimately, you know, I've never been in the NBA in that whole deal, but I would I would assume that consistency is a big, big part of it too, with an eighty-something game season. And to me, that's why I think Keenan Evans is an NBA player. You know, there's your story. At some point, your story would be a great like thirty for thirty, right? Because you were going to be the coach at UNLV, then the Texas Tech thing came open, and for people who don't know, you know, you're a divorced dad of, of three girls, and they live now driving distance away. Uh, from Texas Tech, it just kind of th- this is this is like one for you for now. Texas Tech isn't a destination job for a lot of people on Earth, but for you, it absolutely is. It makes it different to to achieve su- su- uh, success and maybe sustainable success at Tech for you. Is that a that that fair? Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, you know, like there's different programs and players and coaches having success right now, and I think that success will lead places in different directions and human beings in different directions for us we just want this to set success to continue to lead us to that last monday night and certainly this year that would be awesome and everything has to go right for something like that to happen but hey you know we got a chance we're one of 16 teams left we'll take our odds uh, but ultimately we want the success that we have this year to kind of springboard us to to next year and the year after and you know it's about recruiting uh at this level it's about players and then ultimately, it's just about, you know, I think it's about tradition, too. It's like, uh, you know, we just want to be one of those teams that's not known for the Sweet 16 several years ago. We want to be a team that, you know, gets to this point. Like I told the guys this morning, like, you know, 
they're not having a party right now in Lawrence, Kansas, or in Durham, North Carolina, or, or in, in Lexington, Kentucky, because they're in the Sweet 16. You know, they're getting prepared for the next game. Their parties happen at the Final Four. So, you know, as much as we all kind of want to like have a little moment right now, I mean, let's let's keep this thing rolling, and then we'll see if we can't, you know, get ourselves in the class of, of those kinds of schools. That's what we want to do. We want to be just like Keenan Evans has become consistent. We we want to be consistent with our program. But how do you do that? I, I talk with Matt Painter about this, and I actually talk with Jay Wright both on this show about it. In that Jay, when he went to the Final Four the first time. He said, look, we got into homes we couldn't get into. We had a top recruiting class in the country, but all of a sudden, it, we weren't getting our type of guys. Matt Painter said the same thing. You go back a couple years ago when they struggled, they you know, they had to get their type of guys, and they've refocused, and that's how they've, they've gotten so good. How do you balance the fact that because now Texas Tech is back on the national map, and, you know, you look, you got two stud freshmen, but how do you continue to get your type of guys, even if you can get maybe higher te- higher rated recruits? Yeah, I think it's just being true to yourself, and uh, we'll always be that here. And getting guys, you know, that love basketball and want to be coached and want to play team basketball. Uh, but certainly to get in that next, you know, kind of category of players like we like we did with Zaire and Jared Culver. Um, you know, I'm not I'm not complaining about that. We want to coach the best players, but we always want to get guys that fit our culture too. And I think that exists because I, you know, again, kind of like we were talking about earlier with the, you know, the kind of the controversy sells. Um, you know, obviously, I think in the top 100 top deal, you're going to get your guys that are kind of looking for more of a me situation. And maybe I'm naive, Doug. Maybe I don't know. But I still think the majority of guys want to be coached. The majority of guys want to be on good teams. The majority of guys want to play unselfish basketball. And I, I really believe that. And I think of the best players that I've coached, you know, Andre Emmett was an NBA player. She, Andre Emmett is one of the best team players I've ever been around. Great teammate. Uh, we had Marshall Henderson here at Texas Tech. I recruited him, and he, he was sitting out here. Then when we got fired, he transferred. But, you know, with everything with Marshall Henderson, I promise you this, he was a great teammate. He wanted to be coached. And I'm sure Andy Kennedy would tell you the same thing. So we're looking forward, and we're enjoying uh, recruiting success right now because of our team success. But at the end of the day, we'll always be who we are and get guys to fit. All right, uh, last thing. If you have that Final Four party, okay, that means you get to the Final Four. Now we can have a celebration. What 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 local establishment in Lubbock uh, would you call the watering hole of choice of Chris Beard? Well, first we got to hang out in San Antonio on the way home. And for that one, we're going to go to the Minger Hotel, mm-hmm. uh, the Minger Bar and Hotel. Gary P. Nunn's got a song about it. Tradition. It's uh, it's big time. Google that one. All right, I'll entertain that one. you. All right. Uh, then when we get back to Lubbock, you know, again, although we'll probably be getting invites from all the people, we, we got to stay true. Uh, to ourselves, um, we got to go over to four, where we've been doing some post game, uh, you know, situations with our team this year. And, uh, the guys over at the Lantern have been great to me. It's where I eat late night, um, and then there might be a, another one or two. But just kind of hesitate starting to mention them. You know, then you'll piss somebody off. Yeah, I understand. And and are you Heineken now? Like, really? Did you go? No. Did you go Heineken on me? No. I, I was saying Painter might be not me. Not me. You are what? Well, I mean, above all, like if I have a choice between a draft beer and a bottle, I'm going draft. It's just me. Chris Beard, draft beer at four, Lubbock, Texas, Minger Hotel in in San Antonio. Hopefully, we'll uh, we'll have that beer in San Antonio with you guys playing there. Uh, safe travels to um, to Boston. I know I know Boston not necessarily normally your cup of tea, but good people up there up above the Mason Dixon. We'll talk soon. Okay. Thanks, Doug.
Right, welcome in my brother Greg. Uh, Greg Gottlieb is an assistant head coach. Assistant. Greg Gottlieb is an assistant coach at Oregon State. He's uh, previously been at Cal Berkeley for six years, was at San Diego State for eight years, was at uh, Sac State for two years, was at Cal Poly San Luis Obispo for two years. Can't hold on to a job at this damn problem. Anyway, uh, he joins us. What up, dude? How goes it? It goes well. All right, here's what I want in terms of your insight. Uh, you're going to have to defend the honor of the Pac-12. Uh, you're going to have to give me your honest assessment of the little things that you've seen in the NCAA tournament from a completely inside the actual sport perspective that the rest of us that just cover the sport or fans think they know about the sport. And then I want to talk about how recruiting actually works. All right. So that's kind of the premise of, uh, of you enter- joining us here on All Ball. Let's start with the Pac-12. What went so wrong for the, for the league? Well, um, that's a good question. You know, I think um, you know the. I've been in the league now for eleven years. So I've seen a, I've seen it at its best, and you know, at what it's quote unquote worst. And what I can tell you is, uh, really, the games are hard to win, no matter how good the perception is of the league. Um, last year, the league was considered really good, um, but really, there was four teams at the bottom that really struggled, and everybody at the top was they were able to beat them. So now all of a sudden, you get separation. That's what you really need in the league is you need separation. Um, I also think in our league, if you look historically speaking, we have, we have more teams that have guys move on to the NBA than any other league in the country. So now you're you're talking about a lot of young teams early on in preseason. Wins. Unfortunately, that's when you seem to get judged the most. You can't really do a whole lot to change your profile in the league. It, it's kind of already set. Yeah, and part of it is I think there's this assess- assumption that only the the top teams deal with guys thinking about moving on. But the truth is that, like, yeah, look, you guys, you should have been better than a 500. Well, you were 16 and 16. Is that your final record, I think? Right? Yeah. And you guys led, I think, all but one game. In the second half, you led all but one game in the Pac-12. And uh, even the one, the ones even ones you lost. I mean, you're, I, I think you're better than your record. You just struggled to close games. But even with your team, there's the there are guys that are thinking about you know can I get to the NBA draft? Whereas I, I think the perception is you only deal with that at Kentucky or Carolina or Duke or Arizona, etc. As opposed to the fact is every team is actually dealing with it uh, to, to a certain extent. Fair? No question. There's no question about that. There's you know. Kids forget uh, that there's only 60 draft spots, and they're going to take some from overseas. And when you mention, uh, you know, stories uh, of a kid who, you know, is a really good player doesn't make it, they always think they're going to be the exception, uh, not the rule. My brother Greg, Greg Gottlieb from Oregon State, uh, joining us here on the All Ball Podcast. Um, how surprised were you to see Arizona go down? Maybe not just lose, but the way in which they lost. Um. You know, obviously I was surprised. I would have picked Arizona to win. I think they got a heck of a team. Uh, you know, uh, we lost to them uh, twice this year at their place. I think we were up five with five minutes to go and lost. And then we lost in overtime uh, at home. You know, as is proven, they're not the only team that, uh, you know, we got two one seeds that are out, right? And, yep. uh, you know, it, it can happen. The Syracuse Zone. You've seen it um, regular season. I remember you guys. Uh, you were down a guy, but you got stomped pretty good in New York City. Uh, a couple years later, you played them when you're at Cal. What's the right way to beat it? Well, I think the first thing is, um, you know, you're going to have to make 
some adjustments because when you you're going to put together a game plan for what you want to do, but you can't duplicate the fact that they have so much length and athleticism. And I think you've talked about that before. You know, the guys, the guys are recruiting to have those kind of guys, especially on the back line there. And uh, but obviously, everyone talks about playing through the high post. Uh, where, where we usually had success when you're playing through the high post is, is uh, put a guy in there who not only can shoot the ball there, but he's got to be able to attack and finish at the rim. And when you start doing that, they'll collapse their other front court players, and then you gotta you gotta relocate your shooters so that into the corners, and then really get the defense stretched out. Uh, the other thing people have done a lot of is running a little more of a two guard front. Traditionally, the traditional school of thought is if people defensively they go with a two guard front, you go with a, a one man front, and vice versa. But in this scenario, I think it kind of sometimes. Uh, um, get some playing almost in a, a matched up man to man. So th- those are some things we've done in the past. But we never beat Syracuse. Uh, uh, we had a lot. We had some competitive games, but uh, we never could beat them. And we had some really good games with uh, Washington. We we were two and one against Washington, but they were all barn burners. The two games we won were in, both in overtime, and, and then we lost by two at their place. So a lot of respect for them, and I think it's a great uh, uh, method. Because it forces a lot of teams to, you got to come up with something that you don't normally do offensively. You can't, you can't do what you've been doing for 30 games. Um, I want to ask you about Tony Bennett. Um, like a coach to coach, you watch what he's done at Virginia. You know what he did at Wazoo. You know that style so well. Um, is, is that pace of play, is the way in which Virginia plays, is that ultimately flawed and will keep them from winning at all? You know, it's funny. Uh, first thing I would say is I'd use the Coke analogy. You know, I mean, if you're Tony Bennett, you know, you got Coke. You know, why why do you need new Coke? It's uh, old Coke's working. You know, I mean, I think you're looking at it, the teams that you were talking about that you got to beat. They're beating in league play, and uh, those games are to me harder to win. Then conference tournament games, generally. I mean, then uh, NCAA tournament games, just because they know your, their personnel so well. They know each other so well. Those are hard games to win. Um, and uh, I think it's pretty effective. I would, I would say, uh, you know, UMBC uh, played phenomenal. They got a little bit of a lightning in the bottle as well. You know, I just think they kind of uh, broke the game open by hitting a bunch of threes, uh, uh, and that really changed the game. Okay, I wanted to ask you about uh, about recruiting, and this also is uh, probably just one more other thing. You know, it's also possible that maybe the reason that they're a 16 seed beat a one was because maybe they weren't a 16 seed. Is that possible? I mean, maybe they were worthy of a 13 or 14 or even a 15, but maybe they weren't really a 16, and and that might be the, one of the reasons why the first time a one lost to a. A 16, you know, but uh, go back to your, who is it, Florida Atlantic or Florida International? Who does Florida, it, you guys? Florida, Florida Atlantic beat us at our place. We had an eight, that's a much bigger upset, by the way, than, here, here let, me, let me give people, for people who don't know, we had, we won 81 consecutive non-conference home games. These are guarantee games. We played Florida Atlantic, they won five or six games. There's actually a, it's actually, I'm glad you brought that up. They won five or six games that year. This is in 1998-99. I think they won five or six games. One of them was at our place, Gallagher Eye Arena, sold out. We had just we we went to Hawaii. We beat Marquette and Hawaii back to back nights. Won that tournament. Came back home, played TCU, who's ranked top twenty in the country. Beat them at our place, and we we're going out to play UCLA. 
uh, on the weekend, and we played Florida Atlantic in a bye game. And we only had four eligible guards on the roster. And uh, Glennon Alexander, McDonald's All-American, all-time leading scorer in the state of Texas, was eligible at semester. Like three games later, he was going to be eligible. So we only actually had four guards on the roster. And they came into our place, and uh, they ran a little flex. And then at the end of a shot clock, they'd give it to whoever our center was guarding and go one four flat. You know, or they go high ball screen and, and then they throw it back to the center. And their center was, you know, a wing, you know, six foot four, six foot five. And we were up a couple points at the half. And then, uh, you know, I got, a, I got a technical foul after a turnover and a bucket. We got down seven, fought all the, fought all the way back to like tying the game. And we, we got to stop. First, we got to stop and they threw in the post and Alex Weber kicked the ball. It reset it all the way back to 35. We get another stop, we get a rebound. Joe Atkins, our two guard, rebounds the basketball. I'm standing at the hash mark for an outlet pass, and he instead of just passing it, he dribbles the ball twice, and one of their players falls down trying to run back on defense. It hits off his foot, rolls underneath their basket, and one of their big guys that wasn't back on defense picks it up and lays it in, and they beat us by two points. Like that to me was a way bigger up considering Virginia. And here's the similarity. They didn't have DeAndre Hunter, who's their most versatile kind of 3-4 hybrid player. And, you know, UMBC is playing small ball, spreads them out, finds the mismatches, attacks those mismatches, shoots 12 of 24, as you pointed out, from three-point range, catches a heater, and ends up pulling what's, what's deemed to be the greatest upset in NCAA tournament history. Now, Virginia without DeAndre Hunter, and remember, they didn't play a true double-round robin schedule in the ACC. I don't know if they would have been a one seed, but they weren't a one seed as they were comprised that day. UMBC had lost earlier in the year to Albany by 40. Um, so I, I guess they're a 16, but maybe closer to a 15 if you actually look at their personnel, or a 14. And yeah, it's a little bit closer, but 16 beating a one is still something we hadn't seen before. No question, but you know, again, this is a—I guess that's the beauty of the NCAA tournament. But uh, um, you know, even going back to Arizona, I mean, Arizona uh, Buffalo goes fifteen for thirty from three. I mean, uh, if, I, uh, if you look up this year, I don't know how many teams hit fifteen threes in a game, especially fifteen for thirty from three, and lost. You know, and so sometimes. Uh, like I said, a team gets lightning in a bottle, and they make shots that they don't uh, normally make. But that's what makes the tournament so great. You know, they've, the committee has changed their criteria year to year. They've changed a lot of other things year to year. Uh, it definitely makes it hard for coaches if you're trying to plan in advance, I guess, and say, hey, we're, we're scheduling based on these kinds of things. Um, but at the same time, I know the committee is trying their best. Uh, it's not a, it's not the same people every time, and um, and I know they're trying to evolve as well to make it a great tournament. It's still a heck of a tournament, but but both those teams, Arizona and Virginia, they'll be back. They they're just they just will. Uh, so yeah, history history tells us as much. Okay, I want to ask you about recruiting. You've been in this thing for twenty years. What's it really like? Let's uh, here's here's one. Alan Crabb. Okay, he's an NBA player. He's from Los Angeles. First time you saw Alan Crabb in a gym was where? Uh, it was at a tournament when he was uh, just finishing his sophomore year of high school. Okay, so how does it work? You you see him play, and do you write down notes and think, I'm going to send this kid a letter? Do you go see his AAU coach, his high school coach? What, 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 do, you, what do you do next? 
Well, I I didn't see him first. Uh, uh, you know, I think sometimes that happens. You get every kid is different. Uh, in this scenario, I had heard about him as well as some other kids that were uh, young prospects, and and we we knew we were going to have five uh, kids in that class. We had five. Um, I guess that we had five sophomores that were just finishing up their sophomore year uh, when Mike Montgomery first got the job in the spring, and so I knew two years down the line we got a, we got a big class to fill. So I started recruit, you know, looking at uh, we'll get lists and different uh, recruiting services and things like that, and calling different people. And Alan played for uh, Mike Lynch at Price High School, and um, he had a previous kid that we had recruited. But we didn't. We didn't get him, nonetheless. And uh, but I built a relationship with his coach, and uh, and I, and sometimes some of it is evaluation. Some some of it is you know you have a uh, what I call an army of people that you trust that you build up relationships with. And he, this Mike Lynch at Price High School, um, he's now at LaSalle High School, but he was uh, incredible at um, forecasting the potential of some of his kids, you know, he, he ended up having three or four other really good, um, college players, um, after, um, Allen as well. And he was just spot on in terms of projecting where they would be. And, and, uh, you know, Allen was six, two or six, three at the time. And, but his dad played at Pepperdine and, and, uh, uh, he knew his mom as well. And he had a chance to grow. He could really shoot. We had a junior day, he came up, uh, junior day with his mom. And uh, and then uh, we saw him play a couple times in the fall, and then he committed Christmas Day of his junior year. Um, so, and the rest is history. Yeah. Okay, so so then so the question becomes is like, what have, what's the percentage of times in which somebody has asked and the, uh, somebody asked to be taken care of financially? Hey, can what what do we get when we get to when we get to campus at Corvallis or at San Diego State or at Cal? How often have you been proposed, uh, propositioned for money? Um, I don't think it happens as much as people think. I think it, uh, you can kind of uh, set the tone with how you present yourself from the start. And I think for us, that's how we've approached everything is we talk about character and how important it is and recruiting the right kids. And, and uh, uh, But it, it'll happen from time to time. But, you know, I think if the, the thing you have to – do um, you know if you're a coach and you're put in that situation, you got to be willing to walk away from a kid like that, you know, and um, because those are that's bad news necessarily for me at least. I, I've just never subscribed to it, and uh, so you know, I think sometimes you get some people that fish for that for with their hand, but I think most people uh, are appreciated of uh, people that are genuinely honest and sincere and. That's just kind of the kids that we try and recruit. I think as you get older, too, in coaching, you realize character is such a huge part of the kids you're recruiting. And so I think, you know, some of that speaks to their character as well. So, okay, give me a, give me a, is it, can you count on two hands? Is it a, like, and, and how? I mean, I've been doing this 20 plus years, so I'd say probably been more than two hands. But, uh, you know, the kids that you kind of, uh, at least the rumors are that maybe, that that uh, they're looking for something, you just kind of don't even uh, put yourself in that position. You, know, you just you know you 
you don't recruit everybody. Uh, you know, you recruit kids that you know you can get regardless of situation. So if you feel like for one reason or another you can't get them, you got to move on. When you've been propositioned, how do they ask? Um, you know, it'd be, it'd start with something small. Like, uh, if a kid's coming up for an unofficial visit, they'd say, Hey, you know, coach, can, you know, will you take care of us? when we get up there, you know, can you help us get up there? That kind of thing. That'd be something. They, they're always going to start with something small. They're never going to start off with, uh, Hey, I need 50 grand in an envelope. Uh, um, but it'll be something small like that. And you just shut it down right away and, and then... And then you find out if that's what the or or does that cause you to want to shut I would it down tell anyway? Right away, like I don't know how other people do their their business, but we we don't we don't have any, there's no funny business in our program. So, you know, we got it. We do things the right way, and you know, so sometimes people just look to see if that, what they can get. I, you know, I, that's just it happens. I think it happens in any profession, in any. I don't think it's just basketball, but those kinds of things happen. Yep. All right, man. Well, listen, I appreciate you giving us this insight. It's great. It's awesome. And uh, I know you're on your way to go and seeing a couple of high school kids and offering them hundreds of thousands of... Kidding. Kidding. Totally kidding. All right. So that's All Ball, the Doug Gottlieb Show, basketball-only podcast. Continue to download it. Continue to listen. Hope you enjoyed it. Let me quickly give you my picks for the Sweet 16, and uh, we'll see what happens with the Elite Eight. Uh, Kansas State is taking on Kentucky. I think if Dean Wade plays, this is a Kansas State team that I think will win the game. Um, they have very good guard play. Barry Brown is a lights-out shooter. Again, this is if Dean Wade plays. He said it was 98% chance he plays. Uh, Wade is a stretch for it. They just have more skill than Kentucky. And, yes, Bruce Weber has been maligned as a coach. He's a very good basketball coach. He's evolved his style. It's not necessarily a shot at Kentucky. I like this Kentucky team and what Calipari's done. I just don't think they have enough offense to beat K-State. Lillard Chicago taking on Nevada. But Porter Mosier's done an amazing job. But they were dead to rights, beaten uh, by Tennessee. Now, Tennessee, more more athletic. This is a Nevada team that doesn't have a bunch of depth. I don't think the depth affects them. I think Nevada wins that game. In one game, depth doesn't really affect you unless you get into foul trouble. Uh, on the other hand, Nevada was down 22 for a reason. But a completely different level of athlete and style of athlete. You got the small ball of Lola Chicago. And frankly, Nevada playing without a point guard. Um but I, I like Nevada to win that game. Florida State taking on Gonzaga. I respect this Florida State team. They've been all over the map, though, in terms of their performances. And I think Gonzaga, a little bit too much skill, a little bit more refined. Michigan Texas A&M is fascinating because Michigan plays small and A&M plays big. And I've learned that small usually beats big. But I also think that sometimes better players win the game. Ah, this is a hard one. I'll go with A&M to win, to, to, to win Billy Kennedy, kind of underrated coach. Not that John Beeline's not as good as anybody who's ever done it. Nova taking on West Virginia. Uh, West Virginia should scare Villanova on the boards. But outside of that, Villanova, because Kanate can't stand underneath the basket and block shots, they invert their offense. Biggs playing outside. Jalen Brunson playing inside. I really like this matchup for Villanova. Just too much offense. Texas Tech, Purdue. I think the athleticism of Texas Tech matches up very well with Purdue. Purdue struggles to make jump shots against athletic teams that can switch their screens. 
I take Texas Tech to take on Villanova in the Elite Eight. Kansas taking on Clemson. I have learned you don't doubt Cle- you don't doubt Kansas. Clemson was really impressive against Auburn, but Auburn essentially with without three starters from the start of the season. It's a Kansas team that seems to be getting better and better and more and more confident playing in a home away from home in Omaha. I'm going to take KU. Syracuse taking on Duke. We've seen this game earlier in the year. I do think that Duke has too much. It's the it's the it's the matchups that win this thing. And Duke shoots the ball so well from three from so many different positions. Uh, I don't think that. And look, this is a Duke team that's not perfect. They're not great defensively, but a team that and and percentage wise, they're not great from three outside of Gary Trent. I know Wendell Carter shoots a good percentage, but he's not a high volume three point shooter. But they can hit you from. Three guys and Trayvon Duvall, even though he can't, he he's a sound enough ball handler. The the big issue with this Duke team has been their defense, right? It's been ook basketball. But against Syracuse, you don't have to be great defensively because Syracuse struggles to score. Case in point, they only scored forty four last time they played Duke. So uh I think it's a bad matchup for 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 Syracuse. I like Duke to win. So there's my uh those are all my picks, right? Yeah, so Duke Kansas, Tech, Nova, K-State, Nevada, Gonzaga, and I'm going to go with A&M, which what I would deem an upset. I haven't seen the numbers in Vegas. Thanks for downloading the All Ball Podcast, a great part of the Herd Podcast Network. I'm Doug Gottlieb. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from The Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Traveling for college hoops this winter? Pro tip, stay at a graduate hotel. They're obsessed with college basketball, just like us. Each graduate hotel is like a shrine to the local team with lots of cool details for alumni. Nods to school colors, mascots. Why would you stay anywhere else? They have 30-plus hotels in the best college towns. And get this, you can save up to 30% with the code DOUG. That's my name, D-O-U-G. Good at any graduate hotel, any location, up to 30% off. Book your basketball stays at graduatehotels.com. CNN Underscore's Guide to Sleep has tons of recommendations for products that can help you get the best night's sleep ever. All right, let's face it. Most of us have had trouble falling or staying asleep at some point. And there are a lot of products and hacks claiming to be the solution to our sleepless nights. That's why the CNN Underscore team spend hundreds of hours testing products to find the ones that can make a huge difference in the quality of your slumber. Visit Underscore.com now for our ultimate guide to getting better sleep. Welcome to the Scene to Scene podcast. I am your host, Valerie Complex. Today, I am chatting with Ji Young Yu. Ji Young stars as co-lead in the six-part limited series, Expats. I think I learn a little bit with every character that I play. I think usually I play a character and it causes enough introspection that I learn something about myself. I honestly can't gush enough about Freaky Tales. I'm so excited to share it with more people. If you like what you hear, be sure to review, like, and subscribe to the Scene to Scene podcast.
Are you looking to step up to a 4K smart TV? One that gives you unparalleled clarity and picture resolution? Then we've got good news for you. Because the Vizio 65-inch V-Series 4K smart TV is now just $348. With all your favorite apps built in, you can stream straight out of the box. You can even sing along to all your favorite music and radio on the iHeartRadio app. Looking for a smaller or bigger screen? Vizio offers unbeatable prices on all V-Series 4K smart TVs. Head to Walmart.com today and score the 4K TV you've been waiting for.